Welcome to the Women's Health Wisdom and Wine Podcast, a weekly conversation with practitioners, providers, patients, and healers about complex reproductive medicine and women's health challenges, the value of an integrative approach to these challenges, many of the women's health topics you're already thinking about but uncomfortable talking about, and my personal favorite, wine. I'm your host, Dr. Lorena White, an integrative reproductive medicine and women's health provider, licensed acupuncturist, clinical herbalist, and a former labor support doula in the Washington, D.C. metro area. My goal is to bring women's health-specific evidence and expertise to the forefront of daily women's health and wellness news through informative conversations. If you have ideas, questions, and specific topics that you would like us to cover in future podcast episodes, please leave them in the comment section or send us an email at info at lorenawhite.com. To learn more about our team's approach to care, visit our website at www.lorenawhite.com. As you enjoy the podcast, conversations, and wine time, please remember that this podcast is not designed to be a substitute for a bona fide relationship with a licensed or certified healthcare professional. In today's episode, Dr. Jalet Boyd Phillips talks with me about non-traditional approaches to gynecologic care, understanding your own resilience, and taking steps toward joy as a healing modality. Let's listen. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We have a wonderful guest here with us today, Dr. Phillips. Please introduce yourself and talk to us briefly about your becoming an intuitive healer. Thank you for having me, Dr. White. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad to be here. Um, Okay, yeah, I work as an intuitive healer. I got into this work about three years ago. Um, Before that, I was I did uh, human trafficking eradication work, and I did that for about 20 years. Um, And I really thought it was like my legacy, you know, like (laughs) my life's work. Right. Um, And as much as I enjoyed, mm, let me not say this wrong, as much as I enjoyed certain aspects of the work, I enjoyed Mm -hmm. justice. I enjoyed um, being inspired by my clients, you know, like... Yeah, I enjoyed understanding what was holding injustice in place and how to dismantle that. Uh, the work itself was harming me in lots of ways as mm-hmm. well. Um, and I didn't yet understand that you don't have to compromise. So um, right. I was in excruciating back pain constantly, you know, for about 10 years. Yeah. And... Um, I was visiting a friend in LA, shout out to Melody, and she was like, let's do a a meditation. And we did this lovely meditation, and in it, I met this gentleman who sort of called himself my uh, original ancestor. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in that dream or meditation with him, I started understanding that I had access to all of these capacities and abilities and I had always had access to them but I had sort of turned them off at certain points in my life like oh I don't deserve that one or this is not real or this Mm -hmm. is not acceptable um so in that meditation he sort of like and I guess with my consent turned them all back on okay and I came out of that meditation 
with sort of an uh, overwhelm of things like trees were talking to me and I could see dead people and I knew what had happened on this ground that my best friend's house was on a thousand years ago and you know like it was just wow a lot yeah yeah <laughs> um, <laughs> and I went home and was just like I don't have language to discuss what's happening to me I don't know who will believe me I don't know what's happening I'm really uh, overwhelmed in all these ways and it won't stop I can't get it to stop wow um, and I'm sure if you told that to the wrong people or the right people, how they were going to hold you would be completely different in terms of she's a doctor or she got her what or who is she? And like all of those, that that whole continuum of, OK, the person I thought I knew versus, OK, she crazy now, like that kind of thing. And I was doing that to myself. Mm. You know, I mean, wow. I had just completed a PhD. I was like, everything must be empirically and evidence based. <laughs> I trust the data. I don't trust you. You know, like I was very in that academic <laughs> identitar um, right. and just thought that was the right way to be. And even though yeah. I championed other ways of knowing mm -hmm. um, outside of this very like Western patriarchal, you know, uh, decision about like how knowledge should be shared. I wasn't championing it within myself. Wow. Um, I had other friends who were intuitive healers who I trusted, who I talked to once a year to give me guidance, mm -hmm. but I didn't trust it in myself. Wow. Mm, messy. Wow. So um, I had to do a lot of ego work. Uh -huh. <laughs> <And> <laughs> luckily, um, a really good friend of mine was like, you should talk to this lady. Her name's Carrie mm -hmm. Gonya, and she's now um, a mentor of mine, and she does family constellation therapy okay and you know in session with her she's sort of talking to you but also talking to your ancestors and right getting the whole story between the two uh, sources right and a few things were really important the first thing that she that was important to me was in that session I heard my ancestors talking directly to me for the first time and wow. the two ancestors who talked to me were two that I had met while they were living Mm. So I could trust them, trust it, you know, more easily. Yeah. My great aunt Suni on my dad's side, who I adore, um, and my uncle Jim on my mom's side, who I adore, who gave me my nickname, you know. So yeah, uh, I recognized their voices, I recognized their faces, and they were so gentle in guiding me through those first, you know, months uh -huh. uh, that it got a bit easier. The second thing that was important in that reading. I mean, everything was, but uh, Carrie said that my ancestors were like, listen, human trafficking work is not for you. It was your never <laughs> for you. One for you. <laughs> like, at no point are you meant to be force feeding yourself other people's trauma all day long. At no point in your wow. life does that make sense for what you do. Wow. Mm -hmm. Just saying, just hearing you say that is like you're force feeding yourself to take on other people's trauma as if we don't have enough of our own individually that we were born with that came maternal DNA ancestral we don't have our own but you're like voluntarily taking on other people's that's deep. that's deep and you know there was other stuff locked up in that that I'm still right. you know unraveling but um, I she was just like yeah you have to quit within three days and I don't mean think about it and get back to us in three days I mean <laughs> 
over the next three days, you need to start the process of shutting down, like dissolving your incorporated organization, like sending back honoraria and canceling speaking engagements and finding replacements for yourself for these projects you have, or just letting them know y'all can take it from here. Like, Mm -hmm. but with or without me, I will not be participating in these functions. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so I did Wait, that. Wait, let's before we go on, that seems like a a moment that could be potentially traumatic for you in and of itself in terms of your identity, in terms yeah. of the work you had done to get a degree, that like achievement in and of itself, the title of doctor, mm-hmm. the paperwork, all the work oh. that you put in to get there. So before we kind of skip over on what was that like in that moment to hear someone tell you scrap all that it wasn't what you thought it was going to be and it never was for you just so you could get to where you wanted where you should be or could be i think superficially it was terrifying you know Mm -hmm. who am i without this you know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of my motivation for getting the PhD in the first place is because I felt like people didn't respect me or listen to me, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not like that stopped. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, that, I shouldn't say it like that. The, the people that I was trying to advise, you know, like right. I, they would come, these governments would come to me and be like, develop an anti-trafficking program for us. And I'd be like, sure, let me research how it exists here. Mm-hmm. And I'd be like, here's how it exists. Here's all the structures holding it in place. Here's how to begin dismantling this stru- these structures. Right. And they'd be like, thanks, we'll get back to you. Like, <laughs> people start to realize that they're not, that there's a lot of their lives that are invested in keeping inequality and exploitation in place. Yeah. Um, and a lot of profit to be made by doing such. I said it, yeah, profit. From exploitation mm-hmm. and, and that's sad mm-hmm, like maybe their entire economic structure would need to be restructured maybe people up from the top down would lose respect and jobs and whatever whatever their yeah. issues were um, I don't think any did any country move forward with me I don't know you know like I right so it was just um, I already knew that coupled with the pain, coupled mm-hmm. with the fact that I couldn't sleep, right. coupled with the harrowing experience of this particular PhD program, um, made me kind of just like relieved at the same time, like a little bit yeah. liberated at the same time. Um, right. And I, you know, of course, called my husband to talk to him about it right away. And he was just like, like mirrored that relief. Like, <laughs> oh, thank God. Right, right. You know, and then my family, too, was just like, oh, we're so glad you're taking the cape off. Like, when can you just be yourself instead of thinking mm-hmm. you need to save people? So right. I kind of then had to look even deep, more deeply in the mirror. Like, I am a savior. What, what am I doing trying to be a savior? Like, mm-hmm. that's a complex. What's my pathology here? What's it based in? Wow. Um, and that was wonderful. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, like I like healing. I like being better versions of myself. And I'm grateful to those loved ones for being like, this is good. We all want this for you. There's a better way. And I realized what I really liked about the job, besides how wonderful my clients 
trafficking survivors are amazing people. Um, I really just liked the way people looked at me. I, it was all ego. Mm, I liked yeah. when I was like, yeah, I do human trafficking eradication, you know. <laughs> people would be right. like, oh, tell me more, Ooh, you know. Exactly. You became exotic all of a sudden. And that's yeah. so sick. Like, it's just yeah. gross that human trafficking is sexy in the streets. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, yeah. that's disgusting. It is disgusting. And, and I was benefiting sad. from it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, or at least I thought I was. Right. Clearly, I, I wasn't. I was destroying myself. So, um, yes, I had to dismantle a lot of aspects of my identity and lose some status um, when people started being like, oh, what do you do? And I'd be like, I, um, <laughs> I'm a healer. I, I mean, you know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they would be like, and people mm. don't even know what that means. <laughs> yes. And they're like, mm. OK, next. Yeah. That was embarrassing, right. but who cares? It's okay to be embarrassed while you're rebuilding yourself. Like, right. that's fine. The fact that you're rebuilding yourself was is the gem. Okay. So as an intuitive healer, how does your approach to gynecologic care different, mm-hmm. differ from the conventional approach that we see pretty much every single day in the U.S.? Yeah, so what I do with my clients, I have a couple of different healing capacities. One is that I can talk to people's internal organs, which is so fun. Organs are really cute. <laughs> like usually they just have the cutest personalities and I'm like, oh, hello, Mr. Left Lung, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, yeah. And it's always interesting to see who the reproductive organs are in conversation with. Mm. Because, I mean, I have... I'm sorry if I keep hitting my mic. <laughs> no, it's okay. I can still hear you. Okay. And it's not, it's not interfering with anything. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so I have very, very limited training, sort of in traditional Chinese medicine approaches to yoni steaming and mm-hmm. sort of the body overall. Um, and that has sort of informed the way that I understand what impacts reproductive health. Okay. Um, And normally, like what I learned in books, basically, is that it's really like liver, kidneys, you know, Mm -hmm. spleen, like these are the ones that really impact the womb and reproductive health. But, you know, sometimes those ones are like, yeah, yeah, like we're having symptoms, but it's really the heart's got some issue, you know, or like that pituitary gland is acting crazy, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we wouldn't even be acting like this if it wasn't for the lungs, you know. And right. then I'm just like, okay. So let's step away from you all and just let's get uh-huh. to the source. And very often it's the source is a belief system. Wow. That has nothing to do with the client's purpose and mission. Yeah. Which is something that happened to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, sometimes it's an unhealed trauma or a series of unhealed traumas mm-hmm. that's sort of using the womb or the ovaries as like a loudspeaker, like, you gotta heal this, you can't move forward, you know? Right. Yeah. But we're not really trained in speaking the language of our bodies. Like, we're not trained in seeing um, the communication in illness, mm-hmm. right? right? And just looking and being like, oh, this is a, what are you trying to tell me through this mucus? You know, <laughs> that's it. That's it. I feel like our bodies are constantly giving us feedback, constantly get speaking to us, but we are not listening. We can hear it. We notice, okay, there's pain here. There's pain there. This is uncomfortable, different symptoms, 
but we just kind of skip right on past right on through and don't take the time to like pause and okay what is actually happening here in this moment mm-hmm. and then the next time when it's worse or it's in a different place it's that other thing and things are progressing things are evolving and we're just like okay well, on to the next and we don't take that time to pause stop and really connect the two to feel to see exactly okay where is this coming from is it even coming from x location or is it a manifestation of something that's either deep, deeper deep within? Mm-hmm. Love that. And I, yeah. I was, uh, I read this book called um, "The Healing Power of Illness," and uh-huh. I just love that wording. Like, to instead of thinking as um, a thinking of a symptom or an illness as like, here's what's wrong with me, right? Instead of that, just being like, oh, what are you telling me? Mm-hmm. What do I need to know? How do we partner better? And instead of being grossed out or trying to like push it away as quickly as possible, really being like, okay, here's what you need. Let me give it right. to you. You know, as slowly as it takes to heal this at the root. Right. Um, and we're not even taught the difference between symptoms and illness. Like, I feel like all we're really taught is symptom management, which is not healing. It's not healing. It's not healing. Mm-hmm. It's not healing at all. It's really pretty much putting a cover over your check engine light and like, okay, I don't see the check engine light anymore. So that means there's nothing wrong. Meanwhile, under the hood, everything is jacked up and you're going to get thawed out on the side of the road and your car is going to decombust it. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, but I didn't see the check engine light anymore. Mm-hmm. Okay. You, you chose to ignore that. You uh, unscrewed right. the bulb. Okay. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That doesn't but, mean anything. Meanwhile, <laughs> things are still falling apart. Yeah. So you also incorporate plant medicine into your work. Tell us a little bit more about that plant, earth, us, love triangle. Oh, the love triangle. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, people and cells and planets, like we're all the same thing, right? Just on mm-hmm. different levels, at different proportions. Right. So um, if you understand your cells as really like parts of one entire human organism you can understand yourself as a cell in the human organism and then you can understand the human organism as a cell of the earth and the earth as a cell of this solar system and you know what i mean like you can just sort of get it a little clearer that like i mean we're just one cell can we really make a change? And also, we're one cell. When we unite, we can completely change the body. Like, we can completely right. heal everything. Right. Um, so that's one part of it. Another part of it is, <laughs> in my conversations with Mother Earth, I mean, I like to call her Baby Mama Earth because she's, it turns <laughs> out <laughs> that she's developmentally at the stage we are when we're like six or seven. She's mm. a baby, you know. Yeah. And she's just reached that developmental age where she understands that there's a separation between herself and her family unit. You Mm. know, like other people have bodies or other planets are their own thing and they don't function necessarily the way we do. They don't like the same things we do. They have different mommies and daddies. And, you know, like (laughs) we're learning all of these things our bodies can do. And, you know, like we see the earth going through all these changes and they might be Mm -hmm. uncomfortable for us, but so was turning six. Like (laughs) it was how uncomfortable. Remember all the tantrums, remember wetting the bed. It was uncomfortable. You know, your immune system is like you're at school now and you're exposed. Like 
She's going through the same stuff. Yes. Right. (laughs) And if you understand that, it's a little easier to not get so freaked out, number one, at like some of the changes, Mm -hmm. to stop thinking it's impossible for her to heal herself and settle Mm -hmm. into a new way of being. Um, And it also helps us to be a little more considerate um, in understanding our role of stewards of her Mm. like we want ourselves to do their jobs at cleaning themselves and going through their little life cycles without like becoming cancerous and messing everything up so like we should do the same you know um and mother earth you know especially during the pandemic i heard quite a lot of this narrative that oh this is happening because the earth tires of us she's so she's angry at us and right I just haven't found that to be true in my conversations with her. Um, she loves us, like, passionately. Yeah. <laughs> like, she's just like, mm, I yeah. you know. Um, and she's, energetically, the love sort of appears to me as all of the co- uh, shades of green. And if you understand that and you look at all the green things that she's constantly pushing out at us, you get a better understanding of like how deep her love is for us and how abiding it is. So, you know, plant medicines. Oh, where do I start with this plant? So there's a dimension that I travel to fairly often that communicates itself to me as the dimension of growth and development. Okay. And when I, go and visit there, the entities that are there sort of present themselves to me as plant energies. Not that it's like peopled by roses and oak trees, like it's not quite like that. (laughs) It's more like the energies exist there. And here in this physical realm, plants are representatives of those sort of entities and characteristics and capacities. and, um, And they all sort of present themselves to us to remind us of the the innate capacities we have that we can heal ourselves that we, we're resilient mm-hmm. and yes. that we have access in our bodies to everything we need when we you know are having like liver issues and we drink some peppermint tea mm-hmm. it's not that the peppermint tea is healing us it's that the properties in the peppermint is reminding us that we know how to have a balanced liver. We know how. Right. We remember yeah. how it felt when our liver was balanced and we can return ourselves there. I love that is one of the, the principles of, you know, our own herbal therapy practice here mm-hmm. is that I think is we're just facilitating the healing. We're, you know, doing things, but you already know how and the herbs are helping remind you and helping to get those things that you already have in your brain that you already know to do and your body already knows to do helping it like oh i know how to do this it's not anything like rocket science it's actually plant science and your body knows how to do it anyway and instead of having the same active ingredient that you find in a plant in a pill or a capsule with a bunch of other crap and out of balance it's out of yeah completely now you have that active ingredient like really in the plant going directly into your body doing the thing it was designed to do and as we eat and taking food and fruits and vegetables and all the other different things this is what we were supposed to be doing in the first place and your body already knows and it remembers that's Mm -hmm. great i love Mm -hmm. it so i got into plant medicine you know 
<laughs> my first gig, I guess, after leaving human trafficking was, I mean, I wasn't a trafficker, leaving human trafficking eradication. Eradication, was, <laughs> yes, that's important. That's an important distinction. <laughs> was that I, um, I was a Yoni steam practitioner. So I mm-hmm. had clients in my home and I, you know, would do intake and give them steams and whatever. Um, and I had, I was using sort of steams that someone else had designed. Oh, right. Kelly. I was yes. using Kelly's steams. And Shout out to Kelly. Shout to <laughs> Kelly who introduced us. Yes. <laughs> um, and her herbal blends are fantastic. They're so right. brilliant. Um, but because I was beginning my education, unbeknownst to me, and becoming uh-huh. like an herbalist, they kept not working for me on my own mm-hmm. body. Right. Um, and so my ancestors were telling me like, hey, hey, you can make your own, you can make your own. And Kelly was like, stop ordering mine. Right. I don't have good bulk pricing. I'm developing <laughs> it, but right now it's not good for your overhead to order mine. Make right. your own. And I was right. just like scared too because I didn't have any empirical evidence and I didn't have enough mm-hmm. education to do it myself. Mm-hmm. I was terrified. But once I started really just tapping in and trusting... I started getting recipes in my sleep. Like people started visiting me in my dreams and being like, put this in the sleep, cook it this long, add a handful of that, strain it, you know, like Uh cold decoct this, add it in in the fourth hour. Like, and I would wake (laughs) up and write it down. Explicit directions. Yes. Like, yeah. And then I would try it and I would take a sip and would feel like enormous change immediately in my body. Right. And I was just like, okay, I've practiced enough on myself. Let me try with clients who I have these really good relationships with. Are you right. interested in trying something different? I made it myself, you know. Right. And it just was like knocking stuff out right. across the board. Because, you know, Kelly's blends are really universal blends. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do one-on-one intake. So nope. this should cover yeah. like a range of issues. But I was doing a bit more customized, you know, work. And it really fit in my practice a lot better. So I went from steam blends and teas to, you know, like just creating all kinds of things. Um, And as you were changing, how were you, were you loving your abilities? Were you terrified that you had these abilities? How were you taking all this in, experiencing it and knowing like this is you, it's not somebody you're not watching somebody else but this is happening all inside of you and you're being able to take these downloads and apply them which is in essence wisdom so how are you how are you taking all this in yeah i really spent probably the first two years almost completely in (laughs) self-doubt like Mm. like just questioning myself every step of the way which made it very laborious like it mm. made it really super hard work because, I mean, we sort of, when we're sort of at zero, we're completely protected. Right. Um, we just have around us like the I am, like the understanding of self. And that creates right. almost like a sacred container within which to do whatever we came here to do. But the minute we start doubting ourselves, it's like gaps open in that container And then that lets all kinds of entities in. Angels, sure, you know, like wonderful things, but also like troublemakers and like Uh just like onlookers who don't have no business being in your space. Right. Um, And then so I had to do quite a lot of work of like 
clearing out, you know, like I have these obsidian crystals here and I'm saying this and I have this, you know, tuning fork. And once I realized that I just needed to stop doubting and then I'd not be vulnerable anymore, then it made my work a lot easier. So those first two years, I needed a lot of sleep, (laughs) you know, and I just Uh was exhausted, like circles under my eyes and whatever. Um, But the more confident I've become in my innate ability to access universal wisdom, um, and I've seen um, the evidence in my own clientele and just the wonderful things they've been able to accomplish in their own health. And of course, like I've seen my entire life completely turn around and completely pain-free, you know. Wow, Um, isn't that a blessing? That's That's the blessing that you're able to not just get this knowledge, but apply it into real life situations, not just for yourself, but for others. Mm -hmm. That's a blessing. Yeah, and I, you know, just have been able to assist others in seeing that the physical presentation of this issue is not the be all end all, but really Mm -hmm. like open up their lives to success and abundance and love and balance and joy once they start listening to themselves clearly, like, I trust myself so much. Like, it's just so much easier. <laughs> no. Yeah, absolutely. And when you made that pivot, or once you made that pivot from PhD and human trafficking eradication to a human being, and I'm not just saying like human being as in the body physical part, but the human being, just being you, being who you were, what were some of those lessons that you learned about yourself that now inform your work? Yeah, I learned that I was living um, a great big bundle of lies. Mm. I learned that um, I had always been a powerful intuitive healer. Okay. Always, since I was very, very little. Um, And once I was sort of told in a bunch of different ways that it was time for me to start conforming, Mm -hmm. um, then I sort of attempted to by turning off all of those abilities and by not trusting my imagination and by taking on identities of victimhood and by subscribing to like narratives that disempowered me. Mm -hmm. Um, And once I figured out that like all of that exists simply to distract me from doing what I came here to do. Yeah. Then I was just like, okay, <laughs> I, I literally do not have time for anything else except healing myself and doing what I came here to do. I don't have time for any of it. I don't have time to pretend like I'm powerless when I'm not. I don't have time to accept, you know, Mediocre. a scholarship because I'm a woman. Right. Because that has me subscribing to a narrative that says that I am less powerful. Mm-hmm. Even though I know the society attempts to set me up that way. Yeah. I mean, I'm still here. I'm still cute. I'm still powerful. Despite <laughs> all the things that were, were done to me. I survived right. them all. And I'm still standing in my power. You're still here. Yes. But I had to make the decision to do so. You know, there's a certain type of power you can wield 
within sort of the narrative of powerlessness, but it's a very imbalanced power, and it comes at great cost to our own selves, mm. you know? Um, and, you know, once we learn how to kind of take responsibility mm-hmm. for our own selves and our own participation in narratives that disempower us, then it's, there's really no limit to right. what we can wield. Do you know what I mean? Like, Absolutely. We really do become limitless. And I, I spent so much time hearing this from elders and being like, you're blaming the victim. Do you know what I mean? Like not right, right. <laughs> just thinking I knew more than they did. Right. But now that I've been able to experience it, I'm like, oh, this is what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. This is it. So... I'm sorry, I forgot the question. <laughs> Did I answer? Oh no, no, no! It, no, I think you you're on your way. Like how like the lessons you learned about yourself. Yes. And Thank informing you. your work. Yeah. You. No, you're good. <laughs> so you're letting it all unfold. That it comes from someplace. <laughs> so, um, what I've really, really learned is that your covenant with however you perceive of like a higher power, like the the collective or the whatever, how, whatever you call it, God or whatever mm-hmm. you call it when you understand that your covenant, your agreement about what you came here to do um, is both a promise from you and to you and your allotment of resources and abundance is in proportion to whatever your mission is, you understand that like no part of your abundance is dependent upon a physical source. Like, Mm-hmm. You don't have to be like, and then I got to get this degree and get a better job. And then I'll get, you get what you get. Like you have mm-hmm. what you have and you just have yeah. to allow it. You have to accept it. Mm-hmm. And that's still a struggle for me. You know, I'm still healing from poverty trauma and I'm still healing from like, you know, just all of the narratives that I subscribed to for years and years. I'm still deconditioning myself from those. But mm-hmm. I'm, so I'm still catching myself like, Oh, I need to work hard in order to do this. I need to, to take be. on more clients. I need to market. Right. And, need, and it's not, it just isn't true. Mm-hmm. It isn't it's true. Not. Um, as long as you're trusting in yourself and doing your purpose work, mm-hmm. everything else falls into place. Joy, yeah. health, you know, balance. Everything that yeah. you need falls into place. That's probably my biggest lesson, that that's where true health lives is being yourself. Yeah, and alignment with your intended purpose. And I think a lot of times where dis-ease and disease comes into place is when we are operating out of that misalignment Mm -hmm. with our intended purposes, respectively. Mm -hmm. I love that. I like how you characterize all that. (laughs) And then I think the other big lesson is along those same lines, it's not my place to judge anyone else's path. It's not my place to disrupt anyone's process by being like, I know how to do what you're doing better. Like, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I know where you are. I've been there. Mm -hmm. I wish you so much success. Yeah. If you ask me questions about it, I'll share my experience. But understand that our journeys are different and I fully respect yours, you know. Right. Yeah. And finding the balance between respecting other people's paths and ensuring that justice is present Mm -hmm. 
turned out to be a lot less trauma and struggle and like fury and a lot more um, bringing in the presence of joy, which is always the ladder to genius. Mm. You know, when people are joyful, they're accessing like just the most brilliant parts of themselves. And that's when the ideas flow. I feel like black people know this, you know, but yeah. like, yeah, just remembering, like, if we're going to sit and have a meeting, we need to mm. make sure we get in a joyful place first and then get into the conversation, you know. Right. Because like you said, that's when we've already gotten to the superficial and now that the rest of it is at the heart of things. And the heart is where joy stems from where joy stems. And if we can access the heart, you access the joy. And that's where all great things come from. That's beautiful. I do like that. Yeah. It kind of clicks your highest self into direct alignment with you. And then you yeah. can receive. Absolutely. Like, you know, wisdom from your eternal self. It's, yes. yeah. It's, it's just been really nice not <laughs> being angry all the time. <laughs> being more It's a great effective. place to be. <laughs> yeah. Great place to be. So currently your focus is on birth work. Explain your approach to the four stages of your work. Oh, I yeah. I found this fascinating. Yes. Oh, it's so much fun. So yeah. I'm working with this organization called the Sugar Heel Gang. Uh -huh. And we're a bunch of black and indigenous birth workers. And we provide sort of wraparound care for black and indigenous um, pregnant persons in Los Angeles County and Santa Barbara mm -hmm. County. And um, what I provide are four different readings. The first one is called the pregnancy reading, and we can do that at, really at any point in pregnancy, as early on as people want. Okay. Um, and in that reading, <laughs> the client's birthing guides sort of come to the forefront and just talk me through what this client should expect in each month of pregnancy, not just in their body and not just with the baby, but like in all of the ways that they're transforming. Okay. So they'll be like, in this month, you know, you're going to have some hip pain and this is how you deal with it. And also this month, there's going to be a change in your housing. So oh, okay. you might just start thinking about where you would go if your house became uninhabitable okay. or if they're, they're like, oh yeah, we're planning to move that month. Great. It's going to mm -hmm. work out the place you want, you know. Right. Or whatever. Um, or uh, whatever, you know, can come up. So like their partner, the, your work, their community, their home, their environment, not just, oh, this is what happened with your baby during month three. It's no, the size it's of a grapefruit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's way more than that. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, with all of that information, they can really prepare themselves and their partners and their communities and their care providers on how to support them right. and how to hold them sacred, you know, while they're going right. through this process and how to receive this child sacredly. Mm -hmm. um, and then also like, you know, if there are certain birth workers in the gang who can provide them with what they need at that time, then they'll also say, you know, they need to see the chiropractor, Coley needs mm -hmm. to come in and do sound healing or they need weekly acupuncture in this month and then they can go back to once a month or whatever. Right. Um, and then I share those notes, you know, with the gang and with uh -huh. the parent. And then they sort of like 
make sure they get what they need. The next reading we do is the labor and delivery reading, and that's at 34 weeks okay. minimum. Sometimes it's 35 or 36. Okay. Um, and in that one, we get to talk about what's going to happen in the labor and delivery, what week baby's aiming to come, mm -hmm. um, who should be in the room, how long labor is going to last, wow. um, what challenges the birthing parent is going to have to face within themselves, like what it's going to look and feel like when they reach a limit and how to push past that limit, mm. what kind of foods they need to be having during labor, um, just all that kind of stuff, like what's going to be happening outside the house, like a storm is going to begin in hour seven, right, and here's right. how it's going to help you. It's going to give you this release of energy mm -hmm. that will let you stop feeling like you're stuck, you know, whatever. Gotcha. gotcha. But also things that normally might invite unnecessary intervention come up, like baby's heartbeat is going to slow at this mm -hmm. time, and this is not because baby's in danger, it's because baby actually needs to rest in order to gear back up for the another push. Right. It baby's going to be in a position that leans on this nerve, so it's really important that you don't lie in this position. Make sure you're in that position, and that mm -hmm. will also make sure that baby circulation is going well while their heartbeat mm -hmm. is slow. You know, like it's just like you don't need download. to go to the hospital for this. You yeah, know, you don't need right. that. You know, everything's fine. Trust yeah. baby, trust yourself, and then start again. You know, like right. it's just so so useful. Also, like lighting's important to you. Make sure there's candles or smell is really important to you, but mm -hmm. they must be like earthy smells. So, right. you know, whatever, like it's just so much fun. And also they, with that information, get to say like, you're in charge of this. When mm -hmm. I say I'm in labor, can you make sure all the candles are lit? Or right. you're in charge of that, you know, whatever. Um, and it seems like a birth plan that's not just like some statements and some orders and directions, but it's more of a whole person encompassing vibe. Yeah. 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 I, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Especially when you're taking in not just what's happening in that room, but what's happening in your whole environment and how you can use those things to be advantageous and to work with them okay. to create an experience. I love okay. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then uh, right after birth, sometimes even in the first week, I do a postpartum reading. Okay. And in this reading, you know, the birthing parent is there. If they have a partner, that partner is there. A baby is there. And then they're sometimes permitted a fourth support person. Sometimes okay. it's like a sister and a grandmother instead of a partner or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I sit with all of them and anyone who suffered trauma during the birthing process, I sort of am able to talk to them about when that trauma happened and how it's impacting them. And if I'm permitted to heal it, I will. Uh, if I'm not permitted to heal it, then they're provided like clear and detailed instructions on how they should heal themselves. And often um, how that trauma will show up in behavior patterns in the future if it isn't healed. So you can keep tabs okay. and be like, oh, this is that same birth thing, like showing up again. Um, and often 
the trauma wasn't necessarily sustained during the birth, but it triggers an older trauma. Okay. And those are usually the ones I'm not permitted to heal because a lot of times when we're holding old traumas, we're still learning something from them, Mm -hmm. but sometimes we're not. But it is always like significantly more powerful if we do the work to heal ourselves than sort of like ask a rando (laughs) to heal us. Right, (laughs) right. And then um, about six months postpartum, I do a Birthing the Goddess reading where, and this is like, oh my gosh, it's so much fun. The body, the client's body sort of shows me all these new capacities it has. And they're like, it's like now that you've given birth, your kneecaps have this new capacity and you can now do this. Or like Uh now that you've given birth, your collarbones have shifted slightly, you know, to the side and down. And because of that, you have really good abilities with martial arts. So you might consider taking some capoeira classes and becoming a personal bodyguard. You know what I mean? Like, wow. Yeah. Like all kinds of stuff comes up. Like your hands have changed. Your right hand is bigger than the left. And now you're able to do beautiful calligraphy and this will become a source of income for you. You know what I mean? Like just, yeah, it's amazing the things that they show and the things that we're able to do. And it really sort of gives us a new perspective on this idea of like snapping back into our pre-pregnancy body and instead embracing like this powerful version of you that can do I mean unthinkable wonderful things things that you hadn't even considered pre-pregnancy or even during pregnancy oh that's amazing oh that's just that gave me like a little shiver just thinking about what that could that experience is like for that birthing parent Mm. that delivering parent like that must be an like just such an empowering experience to be sharing with you and for you to be able to impart that knowledge. Ooh, that just gave me a little shiver. <laughs> All right. So are there any other resources you recommend for our listeners who want to find an intuitive healer for gynecologic concerns, obstetric concerns, as well as explore intuitive healing as an integrative approach to their own care? Definitely. So I'm on um, a work hiatus as I work on healing myself for a little while. Okay. Um, but I highly recommend working with Kirby Tuila Gray. Okay. She's based in Portland. She's an acupuncturist. Okay. Um, and she does ancestor, ancestral conversations. All right. Um, and I can, should I send you links to lists? Yeah, you can send yeah. me the links. Yep. Yeah. We'll she's, make sure they're in the show notes. She's fantastic. Um, Kelsey Bulkin okay. is brilliant. And she really is sort of like, the work she does is helping us empower ourselves and understand our own intuitive abilities. And she does one-on-one work and is beginning to do group work. My uh, mentor I spoke of earlier, Carrie Gonia, uh-huh. is brilliant. She's so great. <laughs> and Good. her, um, like I said, she sort of does family constellation therapy. Okay. And that has been instrumental in my healing you know great and i've done i've only done it twice uh really the information you get from her lasts you like years <laughs> you know like wow it's that's fantastic. great um and then my very first intuitive healer uh friend and my other mentor is julie walker julie okay. burns walker she's they sort of call her a medical intuitive although she doesn't really like that term but she's you know she's been in the game 
30 years longer than I have, you know, like, she okay, just, got it. She's, she's got little, it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Janice Britton is fantastic. And I'll send links to all of these. Yeah. Their websites. Sounds great. Perfect. Mm-hmm. I love that. So any parting words of wisdom before we say our final adieus? Yeah. Trust yourself over everything, over everything. Yeah. Trust yourself. Can't say any easier and simpler than that. I love it. I love it. And thank you so much for coming, for sharing that with us. I feel recharged just hearing the powerful nature of your words and the empowerment that I feel that you are able to embark with your clientele and your patients. And that that inspires me to continue doing the work that we do here because it's all connected. And I really do appreciate that they, that you have taken a step towards your own joy and allowed others to not just be the recipients of, but to share in the joy that you have created within yourself and now creating with others. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. We really hope you enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you for sharing these brief moments in time with us. Take a look at the show notes for more information about today's guest, their contact information, and associated social media channels. Think about one gem you can take away from this episode and apply to your own life. Also, please follow the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and comment telling us what you're enjoying and what you'd like to see more of in future episodes. Till we meet again, remember to nourish your flourish and see you next time.